welcome to the City Point Church podcast. Thanks for joining us. Every day is an opportunity to take hold of. So we hope this message inspires you and builds your faith, that it helps you have more of a God perspective for your day. Enjoy. Uh, I'm not going to spend too much time, I hope, today on this. Uh, but there's a few things that I'd really like to clarify about Christmas. And I think it's a good time to do it. <laughs> Especially, there's this awesome Greek word called paradosis, which I don't think anyone's ever going to hear of in their entire life. And it really doesn't matter if you ever repeat paradosis again. (laughs) But it means traditions of men. Yeah, it's traditions. In the context of traditions of men. And there's a lot of people out there, they really don't like Christmas. They will say things like, Christmas is a lie. And I go, the. They go, what? (laughs) You forgot the the. Because Christmas is live. <laughs> so traditions of men, and I understand that people do get concerned about traditions of men. There's a whole stack of verses saying avoid it. But literally you could put traditions of men in any context. You know? Who here washes their hand before dinner? Traditions of men. <laughs> it's a good one though, hey. Yeah. <laughs> so Jesus actually did customs and traditions all through scripture. You know, it says that he went and did synagogue, as was his custom. Um, Turning water into wine was a great supporter of a custom. There's no verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt turn water into wine. That'd be great, eh? But I always wondered why Jesus didn't go into business for himself. (laughs) Well, I got sidetracked by my own thoughts then. Let's move on. (laughs) Okay, so there's plenty of things about customs and traditions of men. But the reason why paradosis is really important is because the word tradition there, paradosis, means surrendering. It actually literally means giving up, like giving up, surrendering, what people do when they're about to be attacked. They paradosis, they surrender. So traditions of men are this, what are you surrendering yourself to? Because if you're just surrendering yourself to the business, the commercialism, and all the traditions then they're right. That's the traditions of men. But if you're surrendering yourself to Christ and keeping Christ as the center, then it is not paradosis. It's not a tradition of men in a bad way. You are surrendering to Christ, which is why I really like Christmas. (laughs) But what are you surrendering yourself to? In fact, even if you look at Colossians 2 verse 8, It talks about this. It says, do not do the traditions of men, but go after Christ. Be paradises to Christ. And then you never have to worry about, is this good or not? You know, like people get excited about, and very angry also, about birthdays. You know, birthdays, yarn in the Bible, rah, rah. Like, okay, but why do you celebrate something? Why do we celebrate the birth of Jesus? Let's keep Christ in Christmas. All right. But we're not going to um, really go down that too much. And occasionally, I do hear people saying to me, but John, Christmas in its current form is perverted, paganistic, commercialist. Great. That's true. So is love and so is sex. So does that mean you are going to, in marriage, have a loveless, non-procreation life? No. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm glad you did that. <laughs> I would have done the same. I would have gone, hey, I mean, it doesn't matter. So the thing is, is that just because the world has perverted something does not make it godless when we keep Christ as the center of it. Now, there aren't any, um, well, many slides today. I apologize for that. So if you're a note keeper, you're going to have to keep up. Yes. I don't know how people do notes and listen at the same time. It's a massive multitasking skill that I do not have. Mm, no, no. So for those who are note keepers, the title of this message is The Place of Christmas. Um, and by place, I don't just mean time period, spiritually, or location. I mean all of it, okay? We're going to go through it. Because... I said last week that I wanted to show you something that you've probably never seen before. Who wants to see the location of where Jesus was actually born? Yeah. So people are like, it's Bethlehem. Bethlehem's a very big place. <laughs> okay. So there are some historians and researchers that believe, and they can back it up with biblical Old Testament prophecy, the actual location. So... There's a bit of contest. People are like, oh, you can't prove it, but the evidence is quite strong. So I thought I'd show you that at the end. Mm. I know, right? <laughs> well, Pastor Graham's not here, and so I have to try and keep him, you know, somehow. Yeah. Anywho, here's the thing, though, guys. You have to promise me one thing. When I do show you the location, the general location of his birth, you have to promise me not to put a church on it. There are some Christians in this world, they want to put a church on everything. You know, they're like, oh, that's where Jesus did this miracle. Bam, church. Yeah. Yeah, that's where this miracle happened. Bam, church. That's where Paul died. Bam, church. So I'm going to show you the location, but if you like it, just don't put a church on it. Yeah. All right. Okay. So let's go through point one. Historical Christmas. <laughs> oh. Firstly, I'm just going to say this straight up. December the 25th <laughs> predates any pagan documentation anywhere. All right, people get so caught up about December 25th. It's really weird to me. You know why? Because if you look through all the ancient calendars, winter solstice, which everyone's get worked up about, I'll talk about that, was probably on January the 1st. In fact, January the 1st is bathed in occultism, paganism, commercialism. But the same people who hate on Christmas are really good rocking up to New Year's Eve. <laughs> Keep Christ in every day. In and everything. Amen. Yeah. Anyway, so for those who are curious, December 25th actually dates right back to around 200 AD before any Roman, before anything else, before any documentation we have. In fact, a guy named um, Hippolytus, Tertullian, and a guy named Sextus, Julius Africanus, all dates back to like second century, it's in third century. Awesome stuff. Um, they actually date it specifically on December the 25th because, uh, I could go through all the wording I might, but without slides is a bit hard. But the reason why people have picked December the 25th as the time that Jesus was born is because a whole stack of historians believe that Jesus died on March the 25th. And you think, what's the correlation there? Well, the correlation of March 25th is Passover, 
But there was a belief in Jews, like Jewish belief and early Christian belief, that you were, did I say born or conceived? Conceived. So died, that's right, died on March the 25th. There was a massive belief everywhere that the day you died was actually also the day that you were conceived. How's that? Yeah. So if you were a prophet and you died on March the 25th, they would have gone, oh, that means you were conceived on March the 25th, you know, 90 to 100 years earlier. So that's what they believed. They were like, oh, March 25th. So what happens when you go from March the 25th, nine months, what day do you end up on? December the 25th, yeah. So that's one of the beliefs. Also, in black and white, this guy named um, Hopilutus, right? This is around 170 AD. So we're talking real ancient documentation. He says, for the first advent of our Lord in the flesh, when he was born in Bethlehem, eight days before the calends of January, which means the month of January, okay, long term, but that means December the 25th, okay? And then he goes on to say, he believed that it was the, it was Wednesday, the fourth day of the week, Wednesday, yeah, around 2nd BC. So isn't that, isn't that weird, hey? So not only do we have this December the 25th from really ancient documentation, but they also thought it was on a Wednesday. Yeah, I like that, actually. Um, Guy named Tertullian, he did the exact same thing. Uh, remember I mentioned the whole belief where if you died on a certain day, they believed that you were conceived on the same day, you know, many years beforehand. And they, this is an early church documentation. It says, and the suffering of this extermination, speaking of the death of Jesus, was perfected in the month of March at the time of Passover, eighth day before the calends of April. There's that, December, uh, there's that March 25th again. On the first day of unleavened bread, all right? So all of these early church believed that he was crucified, conceived on March the 25th. Nine months later is where we get December the 25th. Here's the other thing. There was two calendars going on at that, at that time. You had what's called the Roman calendar and you had the Greek calendar. And the Greek calendar, same day, but they named it differently. They believed that all this happened on April the 6th. Yeah. So they believed that he was crucified on April the 6th. You go um, and conceived. You go 12 months, or six, sorry, nine months later, and you end up on the 6th of January. Now, there's churches still that celebrate Christmas on 6th of January. And that's why it goes back to ancient calendars. It's also where we get the 12 days of Christmas. Mm. For those who are wondering, it's more than just a song. It's, it's discrepancy between two different calendars. All right? So nowhere, nowhere up until the 4th century do we believe that December 25th is related to anything paganistic? Then people are like, what about Winston Solstice? Okay, you've just offended a bunch of sun worshippers who know that the 25th is almost never winter solstice, okay? In fact, if you go to the Greek calendar, guess what that is? January the 1st, okay? So, if, again, if you're really caught up in all that, get your dates right. Yeah, it's simple as that. So, no. And then people like to go on about, um, it's called the, I'm going to make sure I get it right, the chronography of 354. I think I might have that picture. Ah, there. If, he, if ever you get on YouTube, please stop doing that. 
Okay. <laughs> oh, except for tomorrow morning. Yes, thank you, wife. Yes, that's right. Yeah, okay. You can watch things live. I don't mind that, okay. But I, I have a theory. This is what it is. If you're going to watch YouTube, it's fine, but you need to do one massive question. If anyone comes up with any idea ever, just say, can you show me the original documentation? Because I literally this week have read, oh, I want to say hundreds of websites and YouTubes, and they are just quoting each other. And not one single one of them went, oh, by the way, here's the original documentation. Like, none of them. Because if they had the original documentation, then they would know that December the 25th is nothing to do with winter solstice or any paganism, all right? So this thing on the wall, though, YouTubers love this one, all right? This is, um, dates to three, just double-checking, yeah, 354. It's called the Chronology of 354. It is ancient Roman documentation, all right? Everyone talks about this. They're like, yeah, this is proof that Sol Invictus was born on the 25th of December. Here's the problem with that. Doesn't mention Sol Invictus. It mentions Invictus. The soul is a total guess. Invictus means great, technically. They used to call Invictus for things that they were great warriors, even planets like Mars. This could be anything. <laughs> but Christmas haters are like, nope, soul Invictus. That's why I like to say, can you show me that original documentation so that I can just rip it up? <laughs> Don't rip up ancient documentation, it's bad. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So that's the first one, guys. Can we please lose the December 25th wrong understanding? Okay, it just comes from, it actually comes from ancient church beliefs, not paganism. So let's move on. This is point two. I like this one. This is called historical in or out. All right, and by in, I mean I double N for those who are writing this. <laughs> All right, now the Greek word for in is, um, it's, Pandokion, that was a tough one for me. I had to do that, practice that one. Pandokion, all right? So Pandokion, it means a public house for the reception of strangers. That's the ancient Greek for in. Okay, we can actually see that in Luke 10, verse 34. With the Samaritan, yeah, the good Samaritan, it says he finds the guy all bandaged and, oh, sorry, all bruised. So he bandages him up, and it says that he took him to a Pandokion, an inn. Right. Um, but that's the word that is absolutely not used for the location where Joseph and Mary show up to and they get refused. It doesn't use the word pendakion. It uses the word kataluma. Now, I like this. Kataluma means guest house. Yeah, it's a guest room, guest house, but it's basically a place for a guest. Uh, and it gets used multiple times in Scripture to mean a guest room or a guest location. I'll give you an example. In Mark 14, 14, and in Luke 22, verse 11, when Jesus and the disciples are looking for a place to eat Passover, he says to his disciples, go and find us a kataluma, a guest room which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Remember, so he sent his disciples off to go find it. He uses the word kataluma, a guest house, a guest room, upper room. It's a location for guests. Yeah. So Mary and Joseph were refused entry to a kataluma. All right, and I'll use the verse here. In Luke 2, verse 7, it says, and she bought, this is speaking of Mary and Joseph, okay, and she bought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger 
because there was no room for them in the Cataluma, in the guest room. Yeah. So they got to turn it. It's like, guest room? Why would it be a guest room? Well, there's multiple reasons. Um, it was where the houses were set up. It could have been Feast of Tabernacles. There's a whole stack of theories about Jesus being born during the Feast of Tabernacles, but they got a Sukkot. That would have been a Cataluma, a guest place. Um, but it's very interesting that because it was, you know, old King James that translated this, they used the word in. I'm really surprised they didn't use the word pub. Cataluma. <laughs> Come on in, mate. All right, yeah. But there was no room at the Cataluma. All right? So it could be any place that Joseph and Mary showed up to that they were refused. And from a technical point of view, it may have been a family's location. All right? Because both Joseph and Mary were descendants from King David. And so when they went back to Bethlehem, good chance everyone knew who they were. Yeah. So when they showed up to the guest place and they were refused, there's multiple theories. It could be because literally the place was packed full of people or they were sent away because it was shameful for her to be pregnant before they were married. There's no place for you here. For those who love this church, there is place for you here. Wholeness and healing. Find Jesus. Anyway, musicians, come back up. I thought you were going to be short. <laughs> They're like, wait, what? <laughs> Let's get into the really cool part, the historical location. All right. This has been so well researched. Um, there's actually an ancient prophecy in Micah. Um, there's a whole stack of also Jewish documentation about this one location, and you find it in the area of Bethlehem. But before I will go there, I'll get there in just a minute, a lot of people dispel the fact that Jesus could have been born during December because it was it's winter, right? It's like all the, all the shepherds out in the freezing cold and it's snowing, looking after lambs. Here's the really interesting thing about this, and you can actually look this up. The majority of lambing in Israel, even now, occurs between the end of November and the end of March. It's something like 100 to 200 lambs are born per day over the December-January period. So I don't have a problem with the fact that Jesus might have been born during the Feast of Tabernacles around October. It might have meant that he was a very early birth. That's fine. But also, you can't just dismiss it because there was snow. So here's the part about where he was born. Now, the shepherds are out. They're watching the sheep. They may have been standing in the snow, but the weird thing about this is when they saw the angels, they knew exactly where to go. And the scriptures do not say anywhere that the angels gave them the address of Joseph and Mary. It actually says, they're like, hey, he's been born in Bethlehem. And the very next verses, the shepherds are like, arriving. It's like, how did you know? Bethlehem's a big place. I'll show you. It says this um, in Luke 2, verse 15. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, okay, so the, the shepherds are like, whoa, just saw a whole stack of angels. Um, they, when it, the angels left, the shepherds said to one another, let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass. So they knew there was a prophecy about this which came to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So how would they know which house to go to? 
But there is a prophecy in Micah 4, verse 8, about a tower called the Migdal Edo. Has anyone heard of the Migdal Edo? Oh, okay, cool, sweet. The Migdal Edo is in prophecy. It's found in Micah 4, verse 8, and this is what it says. And you, O tower of the flock, because Migdal Edo means tower of the flock. It says, in you, tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you it shall come. Even the former dominion shall come. The kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem will come. And you, throughout Jewish history, can see this tower of the flock mentioned in Bethlehem. And there is a stack of documentation that says that it used to be where they would take the lambs. Specifically, they would wrap them up in cloths. And this location in Bethlehem, they would put them in this tower to look after them for the sacrifices that would occur on Passover a year later. Now, some historians, they're like, we can't exactly prove that, which is true, but there's a lot of evidence for it. And you think about it, the shepherds are like, wow, the lamb who slain, or the lamb slain from the beginning of the foundation of the world, but the lamb who has come to take away the sins of the world has been born. And they're thinking, we know exactly where that is. And they go straight to this place. I think I've got a picture of this location. Yeah, there it is there, okay? So at the very top, you've got Ramat Rachel, which is basically gravesite, and down the bottom, Bethlehem. That area, right in the middle, the tower is no longer there. I'm sorry, but I'm kind of glad about that because y'all will put what church on it, won't you? Yeah, stop putting churches on stuff. <laughs> but it's just there in the center, as most, most researchers have found out. But it's amazing, hey, that there is this prophecy that says, this is where your Savior will be born. I think we should just be glad that Elohim, God, He made a way for us all to be saved by becoming flesh. Born in Bethlehem. Bethlehem in Greek, uh, sorry, in Hebrew literally means house of bread. Yeah, Beit means house. Lechem, bread, house of bread. And he is the bread of life. Born, born in Bethlehem. Grew up with humans. Died a cruel, sacrificial death as the Lamb of God. Then resurrected so that we too can be resurrected with him. You see, that is why I love Christmas. Because when you keep Christ in Christmas, you are celebrating the plan of God to save us. That He would come for us because He wants us so badly to go home. I, was, um, I flew to Townsville this week. Um, and we're on the plane. And I'm sitting here, there's a lady next to me. And in my aisle, there's this young, young, young boy. Must have been about 17. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I cried all through the airport. Actually, it was pretty embarrassing. <sighs> I wasn't going to cry. Anyway, I'm sitting in this aisle and there's this young lad here and he looks so sad. His hat down, had earphones in. And the hostess, right, so we're sitting there. The hostess, she comes all the way down the aisle and she's standing right next to me and she, she's trying to get the boy's attention. I'm like, I'm like, what do you want to do? And he's, can I just say, he smelled like... He, he really smelled. And the lady said to him, she's like, sir. And he was just looking so sad. He looked up to her. And she said, 
Your dad is, has come to get you. He's here for you. And you should have seen the look on his face. Hey, he went from, I don't even know where I'm going. You could just see the emptiness. To, my dad came for me. And you could see he was like really torn. He smiled, but he was just like, okay. You know, he got up and the lady next to me, we're having bets. I said, I don't think he's coming back. She's like, oh, I hope not because he stunk. <laughs> I thought, that's pretty harsh. Like, I don't think he's coming back because his father came for him. And I'm like, isn't that the story of Christmas? You know, and I'm in the airport and I'm just crying. <laughs> like, this is so dumb. But I'm like, I'm so glad that when we were at our lowest, when we were separated from God, and when we were totally lost, that He came for us. Why not celebrate that?